Postal Publishing, the Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Chapter 34 How long were they supposed to be in there? Jason looked around at the crowd, worried about his friend. As best as he could tell, the group of seven had been in the prison for 45 minutes, the last 20 of which had been spent in total darkness. It was night outside. If Matt was right, and these things really were vampires, then his friend, as well as everybody else he'd gone in there with, was already dead. He'd tried doing something he'd never done before. He'd prayed for them to be spared. He hadn't really expected God to answer him. Why should he? Jason was, after all, nothing more than a man who had been wrongfully imprisoned for nearly 16 years while the man, Monster, who killed his parents got to roam free. Where was the justification in that? There was none. God didn't answer because all of this was some kind of cruel joke. Had he really expected anything to happen in the first place? I don't like the feel of this, Matt said. Jason turned to him. His face was upturned looking into the air. He had the look of a man who was considering things from every angle. His head moved around, taking in everything from every inch. Can you smell that? Jason took in a deep breath. He didn't smell anything but a bunch of men that needed to take showers. The smell of sweat was overpowering. He didn't think that was what Matt was talking about. There had to be something else. I smell them he said, then lowered his voice. I smell vampires. They give off an old, musty smell that's unmistakable. It's hard to smell when there are only one or two of them. But I smell it now. There might be quite a few here. How many have you seen? I already told you that I saw the guy that killed my parents two nights ago, and then I caught a glimpse of my father last night, Jason told him. That means that they've been trying to get vampires in here for the last two nights, Matt said, his hand going to his chin. His hand mindlessly scratched at his chin. I think I may have been wrong. I think they might actually try to make their move by early morning. If they kill the men in there, they'll likely be converted by one or two in the morning, some sooner depending on the strength of the vampire and how they bite them. That makes nine for sure. He looked around at the dozens of armed guards. They're going to have a smorgasbord with all of us standing out here like this. We have to try escaping tonight. Jason looked at Matt, wondering if what he was asking was even possible. He looked around at each of the armed guards. An escape attempt would land them in body bags. He racked his brain, trying to think of a way to make an escape possible. He'd thought about it numerous times over the years and had never come up with a possible scenario. He suspected that if anybody would have an idea of how to escape, it would be Rick. Unfortunately, he was probably dead by now. Jason dropped to one knee. He couldn't take it anymore. He was giving up. 
They didn't see a way out of this. They were locked in one of the most secure facilities in the world. The only way out was if the warden ordered an evacuation of the entire facility. If they were attacked, wasn't that a possibility? It seemed possible. How far would things have to go? How many people would have to die before they called an evacuation? Warden Yamri stood up once more with the bullhorn. He looked at the group for a few seconds before speaking. Thank you for being patient, he said to the crowd. I'm sure that this will be over very soon, and you'll be able to go back to your own beds. Own beds? Jason wanted to laugh at that. The mattress he would return to was the same mattress he had the day he entered prison. It had been old then, and was much worse now. Springs poked at his entire body. As soon as the team returns with the body, we will end this for the evening, Warden Yamri continued. Shots were fired from somewhere within the prison. The sound muffled. This was followed by an intense silence. Nobody in the crowd spoke as they waited to see what happened next. More shots rang out. Jason winced at every shot, feeling as if that could be Rick taking the bullet. He knew better, however. As much as he hated to admit it, everything Matt had said was playing out. The guards were shooting at vampires, and not having much success by the sound of it. More shots followed over the next two minutes. Jason lost track of how many shots had been fired. Near the end, there had been a succession of eight or nine shots right in a row. Silence followed. Nobody made a sound. A scream broke out from within the prison, freezing Jason's heart cold. It was loud and filled with pain. Jason immediately recognized the voice behind the scream. It belonged to Rick. He was sure of it. Warden Yamri looked toward some of his COs with a questioning look. His arms were out as if he was asking, What was that? Jason knew the answer. Rick was dying. Um, I'm not really sure what that was, Warden Yamri said. He moved towards one of his higher-ranking CEOs and whispered to him. They exchanged a few words. Yamri nodded, then spoke again. To be on the safe side, I would like to send more volunteers inside with more guards. I'll take whoever wants to go. Jason could tell that Warden Yamri was panicking. He'd heard the scream and didn't know what to make of it. For all he knew, the inmates had risen up against the guards and took their weapons. Being a man that liked to keep things secret, he intended on ending this insurgence before it was too late. Two volunteers, Warden Yamri said, holding up two fingers with his free hand. Six guards approached the warden. Suddenly Jason knew what the warden intended. He was sending the volunteers to clean up the bodies of the inmates that he intended to kill with the guards. It was too bad that they were already dead, along with the guards. The only question that Jason had was if the six heavily armed guards would be enough to fight off an army of vampires. Matt had said that they could only be killed with wooden stakes. Jason knew that there were none of those around. We volunteer, Matt said, grabbing hold of Jason's arm and raising it to the air. What? Jason asked, turning to see Matt. Trust me, Matt whispered. I have a plan. His next words were loud enough for the warden to hear. We'll do it. Whatever works, Warden Yamri said, then turned off his bullhorn. He spoke to the guards, giving them special instructions. Jason followed Matt to the guards. Jason was within five feet of the warden before Yamri realized whom it was that was volunteering. Warden Yamri approached Jason, putting a hand on his shoulder. 
I never thought I'd see you volunteer for anything, Yamri said with a fake smile on his face. I surprise even myself sometimes, Jason said. I bet. I'm almost sorry to see you go in there. I'd almost hate for anything to happen to my prize prisoner. The warden stared at him for a moment, as if he was studying him. Go ahead, then. Take your new friend here. He said something else that was mumbled. Jason thought he might have said, I'll be sad when you're gone. He couldn't be sure that's what it was, but that was the closest thing he could think of. Besides, he didn't really think that Warden Yammery would be overly heartbroken if he were to die tonight. If he died, there would likely be a party to celebrate tomorrow. The six guards were joined by a seventh. They surrounded Jason and Matt and motioned for them to enter the prison. Jason took a deep breath, knowing by the sight of the prison that there would be many moments where there would be little to no light inside. The fear swelled inside him, ready to pop like an overfilled balloon. He didn't want to do this. Why had Matt volunteered him? After nearly 16 years, he'd avoided being left in the dark, but after Matt had been here a week, he found himself heading into that darkness to face creatures that thrived on it. Jason stopped. I don't know if I can do this, he said, looking at Matt. He spoke low so not to be overheard by the guards. I told you that I'm afraid of the dark. Aye, that sort of thing happens after dealing with the likes of them, Matt said. Jason noted how he avoided using the word vampires when the guards were present. What's the holdup? One of the guards asked, raising his weapon a little. No problem, Matt told him. It seems that my friend here is a little afraid of the dark. It looks like there aren't a lot of lights on in there. It's all on a timer, the CO said. I see. The guard reached into his pocket and produced a small, metallic flashlight. He tossed it in Jason's direction. Jason had to raise his hand over his head to snag it out of the air. There, the guard said. Now we won't be in the dark. Jason didn't know whether he should say thank you or be offended. It was ridiculous to think that the small flashlight was going to produce enough light to help him. That wasn't what their intention was, however. To them, it was like giving a screaming baby a toy. It stops the baby from crying, but maybe the baby isn't completely satisfied. Let's go, Matt whispered into Jason's ear. This won't work if you keep dilly-dallying. I want to know what the hell is going on, Jason whispered back. Give me something to go on. Trust me, Matt said. I'm pretty sure this will work. Jason felt something poke him in the back. He looked down, noticing that it was the tip of a gun. He moved forward, wanting to get away from that thing. He couldn't decide which he wanted to avoid more. They entered the prison. Jason swallowed hard as they left the lights of the yard and were engulfed by the darkness in the prison. Why were all the lights off? Were they on some sort of automatic timer that had already turned out for the night? It seemed like a plausible theory. Whatever the case was, he knew that the only spot there would be any light was in general population. The lights were on 24 hours a day in there. When they came to the spot where they should have gone left, they went right instead. Is your plan still working? Jason asked. Matt stayed silent. Jason wondered, not for the first time, if Matt Zern was out of his mind. He looked confident like a man that knew ahead of time that he was going to come out on top. This wasn't like some stupid sporting event. This was a life-and-death situation that was likely going to turn out really bad for everyone, including all those people standing in the yard. They continued moving through the prison. 
As he turned on the small flashlight, Jason hadn't yet realized that they were already being watched. Chapter 35 Scott Yamry had been the warden of the Lipsky Swamp Prison for eight long years. He considered it the best prison in the state, and possibly the United States. When he received the confirmation that he was going to be working Lipsky Swamp, he decided to throw a party. He had arrived. Everything he'd done in his career, every step he'd taken, and every dirty move he'd made, had all been for the moment he became the warden of Lipsky Swamp. That had been many years ago, and a very good career choice, until tonight. Something terribly wrong was happening. He sat in a metal chair, looking out at the hundreds of prisoners under his care, and wondered how in the hell anything could have gone wrong in a place like this. They had state-of-the-art equipment monitoring every inch of the prison. Well, almost every inch of the prison. There were no cameras in the area where Clarence's body had been discovered only two hours ago. The biggest question had become, how could one of these prisoners have killed Clarence Hongisto? The answer was that they couldn't have. Every prisoner was accounted for at bedtime last night. The murder happened sometime between when those doors close at night and reopen the following morning. Nobody could get out, and nobody could get in. It was as simple as that. Yet, Clarence had been murdered. That likely meant that one of his fellow correctional officers had done the deed or there was an unseen intruder. He liked the fit of the first one better, but couldn't deny that the latter had its weight as well. They wouldn't have found Clarence if it weren't for the cameras. Video surveillance showed Clarence making his rounds at 3 this morning. He followed the same path he took once an hour. This time, however, he looked off in the direction of where he was found. He'd stopped and stood motionless. To everyone who had seen the video, it looked as if he were trying to listen to something. He started moving forward and held his gun out in the ready position. Whatever he'd heard, it gave him the idea that he needed to protect himself. Clarence's disappearance was nothing dramatic. There was no evidence of wrongdoing or a gun pointed at his head. In the end, Clarence Hongisto walked off camera and disappeared. He was no longer visible in the prison. That's what had given Scott the idea to look where they had. There were very few areas in the prison that didn't have cameras. They found him in one of those areas. The most interesting thing about Clarence's death was the same reason that seeing Jason Wrangle heading into the prison was intriguing. Scott, in a moment of insanity, had almost become completely certain that it was Jason that had killed Clarence. He couldn't prove it. Not yet. He didn't know how Jason could have gotten out of that cell and did what he did. The evidence was the throat and the way it had been sliced out. That was vintage Jason Wrangle. He should know. He studied Jason's case when he was moving up through the ranks. He knew the ins and outs of that entire case, and knew just what Jason's victims had looked like. He studied the photos as well, and knew of what happened to the bodies the following morning. That's where the old man came into it. He couldn't remember the man's name, but he knew the old man was the copycat of Jason's murders. He had been captured, tried, and sentenced. It was not coincidental that he wound up in the same prison as Jason. It was no surprise that they may now be working together. It was as if the copycat had gotten the master to start killing again. He chuckled at the thought, knowing that if that were the case, they were both as good as dead. 
Before the guards took them into the prison, Scott gave Lieutenant Bollinger specific instructions on what he needed to do with the prisoners. There would be no taking them into custody. They'd already done that. No, this was going to be far different. His guards were already going to be removing several bodies. It wouldn't be much more effort to remove two more. I want you to put a bullet into their brains, Scott told his lieutenant. I don't want them coming out of there alive. Yes, sir, the lieutenant responded. Scott knew that the job would get done. There was little doubt in his mind. Lieutenant Bollinger was his go-to guy when it came to getting something done, especially if it meant removing a problem. He'd been successful more times than Scott could remember. Sir, a voice called out. Scott looked to see Alan Mears, one of his guards. He was looking out towards the fence line. I just got a call from one of the towers. We seem to have some company approaching. From where? Scott asked. He followed Alan's gaze, but couldn't see anything beyond the steel mesh and walls. From everywhere, Alan said, a hand attached to an earpiece. He was listening to the towers on a small radio. I've been told by each of the towers that we have people approaching. They're using the spotlights to get a count and say that there could be as many as 50 approaching from all sides. What the hell is this all about? Scott asked himself. Pain startled Scott. He hadn't realized that he had grabbed two handfuls of hair and pulled. He was frustrated. All these years he'd been in charge of Lipsky Swamp and had never had a problem. Suddenly he was dealing with more in one day than he had in the rest of his career combined. Why were people trying to break into his prison? Had they been discovered after so many years of secrecy? Even so, why would they gather around outside the prison, surrounding them? None of it made any sense. Even if they were nothing more than a rowdy group of picketers, why would they show up on the day that one of his guards turned up dead and they seemed to have a small revolt from within the prison population? For a brief moment, he considered calling Lieutenant Bollinger and telling him to lay off the extermination of the prisoners. He closed his eyes and thought it over. He weighed his options and decided to go through with the original plan. In all likelihood, he was going down. If that were the case, he intended on finishing some of the things he'd wanted to do for years. He considered it as going out with a bang. Light to his left caught his attention. The lights overhead flickered and weakened. What in the hell was happening now? Sir, Mears said. One of the approaching citizens just decided to walk face first into the prison wall. Uh, they're being electrocuted as we speak. Scott gasped. Why on earth would anybody do that? That was 50,000 volts surging through the barbed wire. There was more than enough power to kill whoever touched that three or four times over. Was this like some sort of strange suicidal human rights group? None of it made any sense. The lights dimmed even more. The prison population became rowdy as they attempted to figure out what was happening. This wasn't good at all. If this continued, there would be some prisoners that became too brave for their own good. He didn't give a shit about the prisoners, but he did care about his guards. He didn't want to see anything bad happen to any of them. He needed to figure out how he was going to handle this before it was too late. Another one has walked into the wall, sir, Mears said. It looks like another one is about to. I have messages coming in from all the towers, and they're all saying the same thing. These people are trying to throw themselves into the electric wall. What do you want us to do? How do you want us to handle it? Scott thought about it for a second. 
Was he thinking about killing everybody that had come to Lipsky Swamp for this strange suicidal form of protest? Sure. The idea was more than tempting, but it would solve nothing. It was likely that they'd told somebody where they were going, and it would look even worse if each of the people in that group wound up dead with bullet holes in their bodies. It was bad enough that two had already thrown themselves into the electric wall. Maybe they hadn't seen the large yellow high-voltage signs scattered around the prison. There had to be a different choice in handling them. A third one, Mir shouted. The crowd became extra boisterous as the lights dimmed further than Scott had ever seen. Almost all of the prison's power was being diverted to the electric wall. If one more person decided to grab onto that wall, they might very well lose the entire system. It hadn't been built to handle this much strain. Something caught Scott's attention. He motioned to the tower to move the spotlight to the spot where he was pointing. The light passed over nothing at first, but then he saw it. A hand. Somebody was climbing over the wall. Whoever had grabbed onto the wall was somehow still alive. That was impossible. It had been over a minute already. That person should have been a crispy critter. When Scott saw the burning, charred face of the person climbing over the wall, he knew that hell had just broken loose. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing. 